At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Hey, if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to invite you to open it with me to the book of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter. If you don't have a Bible with you, maybe you have a device, you could uh, hop online and uh, follow along that way. We're going to be in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 22 through uh, verse 3 of chapter 2 this morning. Uh, I am going to take a moment and actually just read through our entire passage this morning for us so we can hear it, and then I'll pray, and then we'll kind of jump into uh, what the Lord wants to say to us this morning. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 22, Peter writes, "...having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God." For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Would you pray with me? God, we stop and thank you for your living and abiding word. In a world that is temporary, where things come and go, where the 24-hour news cycle flashes headlines before our eyes at a rapid rate and they seem to be gone in an instant We are thankful that we have truth from your word that stands forever, that does not change, that proclaims to us the truth of who you are and what you have done in your son, Jesus. And so as we turn to your word now, we confess before you it is our foundation that we stand upon, and we ask that you would use it to transform us as a community, to be the sort of church that you desire for us to be. So quicken our minds, open our ears, make our hearts tender and soft to receive. Prepare us, God, to receive what you want to do through your word by your spirit this morning. We love you. It's in your name that we pray and ask these things. Amen. On January 15, 2009, Chesley Burnett Sullenberger, or as his friends called him, Sully, took off from LaGuardia Airport, captaining flight, U.S. Airways Flight 1549. Shortly after takeoff, his plane hit a flock of Canadian geese, causing both engines to shut down. Quickly determining that he wasn't going to be able to make it back to the airport, Captain Sullenberger very rapidly decided to make an emergency crash landing in the Hudson river and guided the plane to land in the river. Thankfully, because of his quick actions and reactions, the plane landed safely in the river and all 155 men and women and children that were on board that day survived. Many of you probably likely remember the headlines and recount that story. It was turned into a movie with Tom 
Hanks. Sullenberger was often described by his friends as being a little bit shy and reticent. He wasn't the most boisterous of personalities, but everyone noted his poise and calm during the crisis that threatened his life and his passengers on board that day. In fact, the New York mayor at the time gave him the nickname Captain Cool for his amazing ability to act uh, heroically under pressure. How does someone learn to become unshakable like that? How does somebody learn to actually perform well in the midst of enormous pressure where your life is on the line and those of the plane that you're captaining? Well, they asked Captain Sullenberger that, and he noted, he said this, one of the ways of looking at this might be that for 42 years, I've been making small, regular deposits in this bank of experience, education, and training. And on January 15th, the balance was sufficient so that I could make a very large withdrawal. How do you perform well under pressure? It's the small, sometimes unnoticeable daily work and input and things that you do that empower you in moments of great pressure to be unshakable, to perform well. We've been studying through the book of 1 Peter together, and Peter writes to Christian communities to encourage them to be, as we've titled this series, unshakable. If you remember, Peter opens his letter by writing to the elect exiles, essentially to churches that are God's chosen people that are existing in a hostile culture. These first churches existed in a Roman culture that was hostile, was against them, at times would persecute them and push against. And Peter writes to encourage the church to say, hey, this is how you can actually live in such a way that when that pressure comes, when that hostility comes at you, you can be unshakable. You can be the sort of community that can stand, stand steadfast and stand the test of time. And this morning, we encounter a passage where Peter is going to continue to encourage us in the little things, in the daily ways that we live and engage as a community to be what God has called us to be no matter what we face. Let me just remind you a little bit of where we've come from so far in, this study, in the study, maybe if you're just joining us. Peter opens his letter by proclaiming blessing and praise to God. He says, blessed be the Lord and God of our Lord, or blessed be the God and Lord of Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Peter sets from the very beginning that we have a steadfast and living hope in Jesus, and he praises God for it in the first 12 verses of the letter. But in verse 13, Peter makes a shift and begins to give instructions to the church to encourage us to think through how we live in light of what God has done. We reminded ourselves last week that what we are called to do as followers of Jesus always comes out of what God has done first. And so he starts by reminding us what God has done, and then in verse 13, he calls us to what we can do. And essentially from verse 13, all the way through chapter 2, verse 3, Peter gives us five key ways that you and I can live unshakable lives. The daily practices that we and things we can engage in as a community that help us live well when we face pressure or hostility or suffering or calamity. If you remember, we looked at three of those last week. Peter first encourages us 
to put our hope in the Lord, to set our focus and our gaze on Him. He secondly reminds us that we are called to live holy lives, to be holy as God is holy or to be set apart or different. And finally, last week we looked at that He calls us to live with a right fear of the Lord that instructs our conduct and that God ultimately works through even for our faith and hope. But today, Peter is going to give us two more things for how we can live the sort of unshakable lives and be the sort of community that thrives no matter what comes our way. So let's dig into this text together. Peter begins in verse 22 saying, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Now here comes his key command. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Peter in verse 22 picks up a little bit of the idea that he just finished in verse 21 where he reminded us that God works in our lives so that our faith and our hope are in God. Peter knows that as we have our faith and our hope in God, that it ultimately begins to work in our lives in a way that transforms us or purifies us and our souls is the word. Because for Peter, if our faith and hope is in Jesus, then we will learn to then live in obedience. And as we live in obedience, God works to transform us. Genuine faith in Christ always results in life transformation. It results in us moving in greater obedience towards him. That's what Peter says, right? I love this phrase that he has right here in the passage. He says, by your obedience to the truth. Now that's a great line because oftentimes I think it's easy for us when we think of truth to only put it in a cognitive category. To only think of truth as truth is something I assent to, truth is something I know. But biblically, when you look at the Bible time and time again, when the Bible talks about truth, it doesn't just result in a transformation of your mind, it results in a transformation of your life. It calls you to then live a certain way. That's why Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's a life impact when you understand the truth. There's an obedience that results as you learn God's truth. And as that happens, it begins to transform you. It changes our hearts, as Peter reminds us, but it also changes our relationships. That as we learn to live in obedience to truth, it is for, as Peter says, a sincere brotherly love. God changes our lives and he changes our relationships around us. And so from that place, Peter then moves to give us that clear call to love one another. That you and I are called to love one another. So how do we live? As we said from the beginning, as an unshakable community, one of the ways is we learn to love. Now Peter's call and command to love here, I think it's helpful for us to clarify, because in our culture, love is used in so many different ways, right? I love my wife, and I love pizza, and I love you fill in the blank. So when we hear love, oftentimes what we think of love is love is kind of this spontaneous emotion that happens. It's a feeling that arises when we encounter something enjoyable. 
The problem is that's not really the word that Peter's using for love here. In the original language in Greek, there's three different words for love, and I won't nerd out too hard on you this morning, but there's a word in the Greek for love of feeling or love and emotion. That's not the word that Peter uses here. The word that Peter uses here is the Greek word agape. And the Greek word agape is a love of the will. It's a love of where your focus or devotion is placed on something or someone in such a way that it then begins to result in joy in your life. It's a willful choice to devote yourselves to something that does result in joy and happiness, that is an aspect of love, but it isn't a spontaneous emotion that Peter's calling for here. He's calling for a willful devotion. What are we to be willfully devoted to? Well, he's very clear. We are to love one another or to love each other. Part of what we are called to do as the church, as the family of faith, is we are called to focus our devotion and will towards one another, to prioritize the family of faith as an object of our love. Not to just feel good, but to actually make our church family a priority in our lives. That's what Peter means when he says we are to love one another. Now, this does not mean we are not called to love others outside of our family of faith. Peter is not calling us to love the Christian community exclusively. He's calling us to love it as a priority. You and I are still called to love those around us, to love our neighbors, to love our co-workers, to love those that we interact with and engage who are not part of the family of faith. But Christians are called to a unique priority to the way in which they love the church family. Paul would give us a similar sentiment in Galatians 6.10 where he would encourage the church in Galatia to say, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. You and I are called to do good to everyone, wherever we go, if we are followers of Jesus. But then he goes on to say, especially to those who are of the household of faith. There's a unique priority that we are to have for the Christian community and for our brothers and sisters in the faith that Peter calls us to if we are to be an unshakable community. But he doesn't only give us what we're supposed to do. He doesn't only give us who we're supposed to love. He also actually gives us how we're supposed to do it. Look what he says. He says, love one another. Here's your key phrase, earnestly from a pure heart. That phrase, earnestly, another idea you might be is to say intensely that you and I are to have such a devotion to the community of faith that people would mark it as earnest or intense. Have you ever been around an intense person? Right, like engage one of those people that you're like, you seem like you're like a little on edge all the time. Like maybe you just need to like chill out a little bro, like calm down, right? You know some intense people. Maybe you work with some intense people. Maybe you live with some intense people. Right? And there's always this kind of edge to the intensity where you're like, are you really that radical? Are you really that committed? 
Peter essentially says, when people look at the church, we should have such a love for one another that they're like, I think you guys need to chill out a little bit on the way you love each other. Like, calm down. Like, nobody's that intense. But Peter says, no, the, the church is actually meant to be that intense. If we're to be unshakable, the love that we're called to have for one another ultimately is an earnest or intense love. It's a devotion to each other. Let's be clear. You and I are called to intense, passionate devotion to one another. If you are in Christ, you are called to engage your church family that way. This isn't just a I like you sort of love. This is an intense, everyday, all the time, orient my way of life sort of love that Peter is calling us to. And the reality is when we learn to love that way, it does begin to make us an unshakable community, and it helps us live unshakable lives. I was reminded of this a, a few years ago when I was part of a, another faith community, and I was pastoring a church at the time before I came here to Farmington Hills, and we sat, and, and part of our community, we were part of a, a, what you might call them life groups. We called them missional communities at the time, and we tr- sought to practice this sort of love and devotion, and I remember there was... Uh, a couple that we had known um, for a while that moved into our community and became part of uh, our, our family of faith. And uh, we loved each other, we pursued each other, we cared for each other. But I remember one day there came where uh, he uh, worked for a camp where he ended up losing his job. There was some downsizing and changes, and he ended up losing his job. And um, it was really hard on them for a while. Um, for a few months as he, he sought to search for what was next and where God was leading him and kind of trying to figure things out. They kind of face one of those challenges that just kind of comes to people out of the blue. But I'll never forget that season because in that time, I got to see a, a church family really put this sort of idea into practice. I remember our community really loved each other and loved them. So much so that for a while they would help them with groceries to make sure that they had enough to eat. People gave them money to help make sure that their bills were covered in the season. And the great part was as a pastor, it didn't ever happen through me. They just did it themselves. They cared for each other. They loved each other. They made sure that they were taken care of. But it didn't just happen through physical needs. It also happened through emotional people checking in, making sure, seeing how they were doing, encouraging one another. Eventually, as the time came, he found another job and they continued on. But I loved and always marked that season in my mind because it reminds me of the power of what love can look like when it's practiced in a radical and devoted way. You and I will face pressures in our life. We will face challenges. We will face suffering, much worse sometimes than just losing a job. But where there is Christian community that practices intense, devoted love, it allows us to be unshakable because of the way we care for one another. So Peter reminds us we are called to love each other. But I also think it's not only just because of us, I also think that oftentimes the love for one another can become one of the greatest witnesses to the world around us. I think the love of Christian community is one of the most powerful things in the 
world. Jesus said it would be. He said in John 13, 35, by, all, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. No other community loves like a genuine Christian community loves because genuine Christian love is not compulsory from the outside. It's from a life transformed on the inside. And it's that sort of love that becomes unshakable. And it's why Peter calls us to practice and engage this sort of love because of the transformation that we've experienced. Look, in verse 23, he gives his reason for the command. He says, since you have been born again. Why should you love like this? Because you, if you put your faith in Jesus, you've been transformed by God's love. Peter's picking up the same phrase that he uses in verse 3, and it's his primary understanding of those who have put their faith in Christ that they have been born anew, that God has loved them so much that he sent his one and only son into the world that they might not perish but have everlasting life and be known and born and brought into God's family. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've experienced that new birth. And Peter reminds us that unshakable lives ultimately come from that experience of new birth, and it causes us to be the sort of people that love. It's that inward transformation. But where does that transformation come from? Well, Peter gives it to us because he wants us to have a firm foundation that we can stand upon this morning. He says, not of perishable seed, so you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable So the thing that God has birthed in you, the work that God is doing, he picks up this metaphor of the seed, the thing that has been planted in you that's resulted in this new birth is not something that's passive. It's not something that's passe or or will fade away or die. It is something that is imperishable. What is that thing? He says it through the living and abiding word of God. For Peter, the way that you have been born again is through the word of God because God's word is an imperishable seed. He gives his root understanding from the Old Testament in verse 24 from Isaiah chapter 40 where he quotes this magnificent verse, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. When Peter uses that term flesh, he's talking about the material world that we exist in and he's saying even the greatest thing in the world that that we know of The greatest glory is like grass or a flower, and the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Friends, there is one permanent and powerful thing that you can trust in in this world, and it is the word of God. All else falls, all else fails, but the word of God remains forever. And Peter reminds us, it's this word is the good news that was preached to you. What is the word of God? Let us be clear. When Peter refers to the word of God here, he's referring to the prophetic word that points to Christ. It's the word contained in the Old Testament and the New Testament that points us ultimately to God's true word, Jesus. This is what has been proclaimed to them. It is what has been proclaimed to us It is the word that God has given that points us to Christ. And it is this word that ultimately brings about the new birth in your life and my life. No matter what your testimony is this morning, if you have put your faith in Jesus, no matter how that happened, whether that was 
like me at a young age who grew up in a Christian home, whether that was later in life, whether that was a dramatic moment, or whether that was a subtle moment in your heart, no matter what your testimony is in Christ, let us be clear. Your testimony ultimately becomes because at some point the word of God was spoken and proclaimed to you, and that firm seed was planted and birthed faith in you that you might experience salvation. It is the word of God that causes us to be born again. And we don't stand upon ourselves. We stand upon his word. And it's his word that causes us to love one another, that transforms us and changes us. It is what makes us unshakable. But Peter wants us to continue and to be reminded of the impact of that word and what it has on our lives and our community. And so in verse 2, he then takes and says, so, so because of what God has done in his word, because of this word that's been proclaimed, you put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So Peter says, when you come to God's word, it should impact your life in a way that you begin to put away things. He says the first thing we should put away is malice, which is a general word for evil that carries with it kind of the hostility that we see in our world or even the intention to harm. We're to put away deceit, the practice of deceiving others, hypocrisy where we live one way with people and another way behind closed doors, to put away envy, to hold ill will towards people because they have advantage over us or slander to speak evil. Notice, notice that all the things that Peter calls us to put away are things that affect our relationships and how we live as a community. For Peter, if we are to live genuinely as the sort of people, as a sort of unshakable community rooted in love, then we must put away the things that cause division amongst us. The malice, the ill will, the envy, the slander, all of these things, when practiced, will destroy a community. And Peter knows if we're to be an unshakable community, we must pay attention to the things internally that can often cause division in our lives and in our community. You know, one of the things I think often that makes me nervous in this season is I see that the malice and envy and division that we too often see in our society seeps in and has its way in the church. Instead of pursuing love, radical love and devotion, we divide churches over political lines. We divide churches over economic or racial lines. We practice things that the world practices and how they relate to each other. Instead of being diligent to put off those things. If I looked at your Facebook feed this morning or your Twitter account, would I see that you've put off malice or you've put off envy, that you do not practice the sort of things that lead to division in the Christian community? How about even in the way you relate to others? Peter says if we're to see love grow, we must put off the things that hinder. But it's from that place he then calls us to the second clear thing that we need to pursue to live unshakable. Look what he says in verse 2. Like newborn infants, so put this off. That's not what you shouldn't do. This is what you should do. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it 
you may grow up into salvation. For Peter, if we're to love one another, we're also instead to long for or to crave the pure spiritual milk that we may grow up. That's the result. But the call is ultimately to desire, to crave this spiritual milk. What is Peter referring to here? Because he's obviously picked up this metaphor that we'll explore in a minute. But what is the spiritual milk? Well, the root word that Peter uses for the word spiritual here is similar to the root for what we find for the word word in the Bible. It's the Greek word logos. And so when Peter talks about this pure spiritual milk, He's talking about the milk of the word. That's what he's pointing. He's making a connection between what he said in 23 through 25 with what we are ultimately to crave. So what you and I are ultimately to desire is God's word. It is the milk of God's word that we pursue and desire because it is what benefits us and causes us to grow to be the sort of people that God desires for us to be. That's why he says that by it, by this pure spiritual milk, by the word of God, you may grow up into salvation. I love the metaphor that Peter uses here. That you and I, we're to crave the word of God like a baby craves the milk of his mother. And if you're a parent in the room or if you ran around a baby, you know how much they crave milk. And you often get the indication by the screams and cries that you get from them at all hours and places and times in the middle of the night and whenever it happens. Because there's something in a baby that inherently knows its mother's milk is what it needs. It has the nutrition, the stuff it needs to grow. God has wired infants for that. And so when they fail to receive that nutrition, there's that longing, that desire, that craving that says, I need to have this. What Peter's saying is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should have that same craving, that same desire, that same scream in the night, bleed your ears out, cry for the word of God. That you long for it because it's by it that you will grow up. Do you have that sort of longing? Because it's that longing that helps you to be unshakable. You know, I was even reading this, I was reminded of a story um, about a, a pastor in the Chinese church. His name's Brother Yoon, and uh, his biography is recounted in the book, The Heavenly Man. And there's a story one day of Brother Yoon when he was arrested. He was arrested several times. His legs were broken, and he was in prison being carried from different places and rooms. And I'll never forget in the story he talked about one day he met a man, actually it was a spy, but they figured out, and this guy happened to have a Bible with him. And Brother Yoon was so encouraged, and the other brothers that were in this Chinese prison, that they would take the Bible and they would rip out little portions and find ways to sneak it to each other throughout the prison so that they could read the Word of God and let it encourage their souls. And when you read, you hear how just reading little bits, little portions of God's Word would sustain him for a day or a night in the face of torture and pain. They longed for it because God's Word allows us to stand firm in the face of the worst pressure. 
And so the question that we have to face is, do you have that sort of craving? Do you desire God's word more than you desire food, even? You know, I think it's important for us to learn to live that way. My dad's actually here this morning. I won't point him out directly, but... And ever since I was a little kid, my dad has had this same mantra in his life. He's lived by it all the time that I can remember when it came to the Word of God. And it was simply this. No Bible, no breakfast. And ever since I was a kid, I can remember my dad would wake up every morning and he would not eat until he had read his Bible and studied God's Word for that morning. And for him... It was a simple, practical reminder that we are called to crave God's Word more than we crave the physical food that we eat and need for our physical bodies. Brothers and sisters, do you know that God's Word is more nutritious for your life than even the food that you will eat today? Do you know that God's Word will provide for you what you need to not just live in this life, but to carry on and experience the salvation of God into eternity, that it nourishes not just your mind or your heart, but your very soul, that you might be unshakable and experience all that God has for you? If you did understand that, you would crave it, you would desire it, you would long for it, and you would pursue it over everything because you know the benefit it has for you. You know what it can grow you into. And my call this morning, and I think what Peter's call for us, is that he wants you to know the benefit. He wants you to experience the power of what God has for you in his word. It's why he closes this passage the way he does. I love this final phrase, and it really points us to, I think, the big idea that he wants us to get this morning. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, what Peter ends this reminder, he reminds us of the benefit of the word of God, but he ends by calling us to taste, to experience that for ourselves, to know that God is good that we can stand because we know God's word, because we've had that experience, because we've put our faith in Christ, we've grown in that desire, and as we encounter God's word time and time again, he nourishes us and feeds us and grows us to be the sort of people that when pressure comes, we're able to stand unshakable. See, I love the story of Captain Sullenberger because it reminds us that if we're to live that sort of way. It's the daily, it's the regular encounters with God and his word by his spirit that transforms us. It's not enough for one day a week or once in a while. It's the regular habit, the daily engagement, the tasting and seeing that changes us and transforms us and empowers us and lets us know that the Lord is good. You see, you can't learn to live unshakable until you've tasted and seen, until you've experienced God and his word for yourself. You know, there was this growing trend that's come up over the last, I don't know, decade or so of my life 
And it really came with the rise of social media. And it was this incessant habit we have of taking pictures of each other's food. Like you hop on Instagram or Facebook and there's all these pictures of people who are enjoying great meals. And we share them and like them and that's great. I love a good meal. But I want you to imagine with me for a moment the most hungry, the most hungry you've ever been in your life. I don't know when that was for you, but imagine with me for a moment that you're that hungry. How good in that moment where you're starving, where you're desiring, where you want something, is a picture of someone else's food? What benefit is that going to bring you? How's that going to help you in that moment or time? If I was starving and someone handed me a phone with a picture of the delicious meal, that phone would probably be shattered against the wall. And I'd say, bring me something that's of substance. Bring me something of nutrition. Bring me something I can taste and experience so that I can find the respite that I need for the salvation that I'm feeling. Brothers and sisters, I fear that too often in the church, too often when I've looked around and I have seen We have been not living and tasting the food that God provides us, but we've been living off photos of other people's food. That many of us have not learned what it looks like to taste and see on a regular basis the goodness of God in his word. That we've substituted other things, pastors we like, Bible studies that we enjoy, podcasts that we listen to, none of those are bad, but they cannot replace your singular engagement with the Word of God, hearing His voice by His Spirit as you study it, empowering you, encouraging you, growing you, transforming you. And so we must learn. You can't live off Beth Moore's photo of her food or Jen Wilkins' photo of her food. You can't live off Matt Chandler's photo of his food or Stephen Furtick's photo of his food. At some point, if you're to be the unshakable Christian, you must study and know the word of God for yourself to stand upon it, to hold fast to its truths, to let it change your mind, to let it transform your heart and let it impact the very way you live. That's how you become unshakable. That's how you stand fast in the midst of pressure. That's how you can stand firm no matter what comes at you. That's how we become an unshakable community. And so this morning, God is inviting you to taste and see that he is good. Maybe this morning you think, I don't even know where to begin. How about chapter one? Maybe tomorrow you wake up and you just say, no breakfast, no Bible, no breakfast. And you don't got to read an hour. Maybe it's five minutes. But just do it tomorrow and maybe the next day and maybe the next day. And friends, I will make you a promise. I will make you a promise, not based on me, based on the word of God, that if you develop a regular habit of reading the Bible, you will see the greatest transformation in your life outside of your experience of the first time of salvation of Jesus Christ. It will change everything for you. God wants you to taste and see he is good and his goodness is found in his word. And I pray it would be true for you. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is permanent and powerful, that it is a firm foundation 
We thank you even this morning that when your word goes forth, it accomplishes exactly your purposes. That we can stand upon it this morning and in the shakiness of our lives and the shakiness of news headlines that come and go and things that are constantly changing, that we have a a firm foundation that we can stand upon. We can know its truth and experience its transforming power. But more than that, even God, we thank you that your word points us to Jesus Christ, that it reminds us ultimately that salvation is not of us, it is of you, that the transforming power we need is found in you, but that you and your grace and kindness, God, you gave us Jesus to live the life we couldn't, to die the death that we deserved and to rise again that we might be born again. And so God, would you draw us back to that place of just faith and trust to craving and desiring your word this morning that we might taste and know your goodness. Help us even now, we pray in your holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.